turn your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. And take out your lesson notes. And there at the top of your lesson notes, we're looking at always abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I want us to read uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, measure yourself by the marks of always abounding in the work of the Lord. And 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is right underneath there. Take your notes. Let's read that out loud in a loud, strong voice so that we know this is what we're studying. This is what our focus is on. So let's read this together. Let's go. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And so let's talk a little bit about always abounding. We, we had a great lesson last week, and I was talking a little bit more to Dana. Uh, Dana and Jerry gave us great personal testimonies about areas that they abound in. And Dana said, you know, I, I just, I just don't, I'm not sure I'm abounding in that. You know, I, 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 it's not, it's not like just this joyful, uh, you know, exciting thing that I'm always doing. And so we talked about that, and I thought about her saying that. And there is a sense, don't you think, there's a sense that the word abound in English kind of does have this idea of overflowing with, with jubilant overflowing and, and joyfulness and even an ease. Would you agree with that? I, I abound in this. And that's what she was saying. She was saying, well, I don't think I do that. And, 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 and there is that sense that seems to imply joyful ignorance, e- ignorance, eagerness, joyful eagerness, and perhaps even ease in doing it. As if, if I abound in giving and if I abound in hospitality, then it just joyfully and effortlessly flows out of me without any effort or struggle. Therefore, if any of these areas... Now listen, if that's, if that's what you think that word means then here's what's going to happen in this whole series, and it may have already happened last week. If any of these areas that Paul's addressing in 1 Corinthians 16 does not just joyfully and effortlessly flow out of you naturally, then you're going to check out and say, well, this, this one isn't for me. You know, that one's not for me. I don't have to abound in that. I will never abound in that area of the work of the Lord. So what I want to do before we dive into today's lesson is we want to make sure that we understand from what the Bible means by abounding. And so I hit on this in the first lesson, but I want to readdress it and it will probably remind us of it all the way through. And so the first thing I want you to remember about the word abound and always abounding, it means to always be growing and increasing, excelling and progressing at something. So those words grow. Uh, learn, increase, excel, progress. Is there any area of your life that those things happen effortlessly? No. Is there any any area of your life when you excel in something, it happens automatically and it's never difficult? No. To excel in anything, to progress in anything, to, to grow in anything involves effort. It's difficult. It doesn't come easy. And to be quite honest, it's work to excel in any area. 
of your life. Now, when you do excel, and as you see yourself excelling, there is joy, right? Yes, there's joy. And if you remember what Dana said last week, she said, yeah, you know, Sunday afternoon, there's not a lot of joy about hospitality. Even while it's happening, there might not be a lot of joy. Her joy comes at 10 p.m. after everybody's gone and realizing the Lord has used me. You know, the Lord has used my home, the Lord has used my hospitality, and thank God those people are gone. Oh, I don't know if that's... Somehow, it, it, it's spiritual, I, I promise you. But let me give you a couple verses where abound is used so that maybe you can get a better idea of it. And one is a direct encouragement, and it's 2 Corinthians 9.8. 2 Corinthians 9.8, in the very letter to the Corinthians that he's telling them in 1 Corinthians to always abound, here's how he uses it. 2 Corinthians 9.8. This might be a verse to memorize, meditate on for this whole series because it kind of eliminates the idea of, well, I have an excuse for not abounding in this because it doesn't come naturally, joyfully, or effortlessly. Listen to 2 Corinthians 9.8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You see, the reason Paul tells us to abound, always abound, is because there's always grace sufficient for abounding. And so when God gives us grace, you know, that doesn't, you know, that means it's not going to be natural. We have to get it from Him. That means it's not going to be effortlessly. We have to receive that grace, cooperate with that grace. But you can see there that all grace abounding to you means you will have more than enough And that's why he says, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance of grace for every good deed. Now, there's another one I want you to look at. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. And we're going to look at verses 4, uh, verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians 4, and then verse 10. And I just want you to see how abound is used. In fact, in the New American Standard, In verse 1, it's translated excel. So let's look at it. Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us instruction on how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. You're walking in the Lord. Now I want you to excel, progress, grow, increase. Don't stagnate. Don't relax. Don't fall back. Instead, ever, as C.S. Lewis said, onward and upward. Onward and upward. And then notice down in verse 10, he's talking about love. Look at verse 10. For indeed, you do practice it, love, toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Abound in it. Increase in it, grow in it, excel in it. Excel in what, Paul? Excel in loving people. Now, let me give you, ask you a question. When have you ever found loving people effortless? When have you ever found loving people in the way of 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love? I'm not talking about the easy to love. I'm not talking, I'm talking about the hard to love. When have you found that joyful? When have you found that effortless? No, it's not. It's something that just just because you're increasing and abounding doesn't mean it's always easy and it's always joyful. Can you abound in hospitality now from that standpoint? 
Yeah, yeah, you can, and we all can, right? Now, let me give you one last reminder. When we talk about abounding in this series, remember that according to 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that we all said together, never forget what we are to abound in in this series. We are to abound in the work of the Lord. So again, you, it's not the vacation of the Lord. It's not the easiness of the Lord. We're to abound in the, what? The work of the Lord. When have you ever found work always joyful? Never, you know, never difficult. Uh, uh, always just, hey, it just comes natural. And knowing that our labor, our toil, the burdensome, it, it can be burdensome. So I just want to eliminate from our thinking, though it's implied in the word abound. I get that. I think that. If I'm not careful, I'll think that way. But when we say abound in the work of the Lord, we mean progress in it, increase in it, never stagnate in it. It will be difficult. It will be hard. You will not always like it. But at the end of the day, at the end of the ministry, and ultimately at the end of the age, because don't forget, 1 Corinthians 16 is connected with 1 Corinthians 15. The work continues until Christ returns. We are look Too often we are looking for payday, too early in our work for the Lord. Payday is when He comes back. Payday is when He shows us, here's what all that time in the nursery did. Here's what all that effort accomplished. Here's what serving those 27 missionaries did. Here's what giving faithfully did. Here's what I was able to do that you never imagined, you never understood, but out of love for me, you increased, you abound, you, you, you did not stagnate, and now... Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy. Think about this. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter in means you haven't had that joy yet. Enter into that joy. You see, there's a joy from our work that is awaiting us at the future. Amen? Okay. So, what areas are we to be abounding in? Well, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 16. I think there's at least nine in there. But in verses 1 through 9, Paul summarizes or identifies three areas of stewardship. We looked at the first two last week, always abounding in stewardship. And the first area is was in verses 1 through 4, always abound in the work of what? Always abound in the work of giving. That's in verses 1 through 4. Always abound in the work of giving. He says in verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper. And we saw in 2 Corinthians, he says this, But as you abound in everything, as you excel, progress in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also, and we talked about one area that we can abound in is this September, uh, coming up in September, our offering for uh, the cage, replenish our savings on the cages that we, we, we had to purchase to protect our air conditioning. Now, the next area was in verses 5 through 7, and we are always to abound in the work of what? Hospitality. I hear a lone voice in the wilderness crying out, hospitality, thank you. Thank you for that lone voice. 
Verses 5 through 7 have it all written over, and here's what we learn. Hospitality always has one goal that sets it apart from mere, merely entertaining people, and that is this. Hospitality sends them forward on their mission in a manner worthy of God to the glory of God. And that's where we talked about application, and uh, Jerry gave us the testimony on giving, Dana on hospitality, both abound in those works for the Lord. But we talked about child care for double time. We talked about hosting a grow group, leading a grow group. Uh, Sign-ups for that will start next week. We need uh, another host. We need another leader for grow groups. Fellowship goodies for world outreach is coming up. That's all hospitality down here. Uh, driving a van on Sundays uh, to, to bring people. You don't have to drive every Sunday, but that is ho- literal hospitality, door-to-door hospitality. Right, Jeff? So see Jeff uh, to help out with that. The last area of stewardship in verses 1 through 9 is this one. And it's one that we don't always think about. Always abound in proclaiming. Always abound in proclaiming the gospel. And so this is the third area, and this is in verses 8 through 9. So let's look at those verses. uh, Follow along as I read them. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, two observations that I want one grab from those two verses. Powerful. There is so much packed in those verses. Here's the first thing. Always abounding as a witness for our Lord is taught and caught. Always abounding as a witness is taught and caught. I could give you so many illustrations of this. You can talk about evangelism to people till you're blue in the face, but you will never learn evangelism ultimately until you go with people and you see them do it. Whether that is uh, uh, formally, like door-to-door, whether that is on a missions campaign, whether that is uh, informally and you just watch them do it. I t- the way I learned evangelism, the way I learned confidence in evangelism, the way I learned a method of evangelism, a means to evangelize, was by going house-to-house, door-to-door with Ed Scarce, who uh, is a gifted evangelist, but sitting there, and I'll never... There's one picture in particular. We're in someone's living room, and I can tell you all sorts of stories about doing that, because when you go and you evangelize, you know, Satan's mad as a hornet, and he interrupts, and, you know, we could talk in a home... We could talk till we're blue in our face, but when you turn the conversation right to Jesus, babies throw up, dogs bark, doorbells ring, TV's volume goes up. I mean, I've had all of that and more. Why? Because Satan will let you talk to lost people all day long as long as you don't proclaim the gospel. The second you start proclaiming the gospel, he will try to cause static. But I always just remember Ed sitting in a rocking chair in a home... He's leading the discussion. He's the trainer. I'm the learner. And as he's there, he's just laid back. Fingers are just like, you know, floating along the carpet. I'm just watching this man as he naturally shares the gospel. I just always have that image in my mind. That's where I learn. Why? Because proclaiming the gospel is taught and caught. You teach about it, and then you go and do it. What is Paul doing in these two verses? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's modeling for the Corinthians what it's like to be always abounding 
in proclaiming and sharing the gospel, just as he did for all the churches he planted, just as he did for all the people he was discipling. Have you ever noticed, though, that apart from the Great Commission, uh, the Great Commands of the Great Commission, you know, there's five Great Commission passages, four or five, Apart from those and a few isolated commands to ministry type, pastoral types like Timothy, there's really very few, very, very few commands in Scripture to churches to evangelize, to individuals to evangelize. Paul commands them to pray. He commands them to worship. He commands them to give, and he uses the imperative. He commands, but look for it. Search for it. They're just not there. Now, why is that? Why is that? I'm not sure I have the answer to all of that. I just know it's true. And I know when we hear that, we have a tendency to react against it. You know, because we're like, well, that, you know, I know we're supposed to do that. And, and as I said to one, uh, one uh, D-Men student when I made this comment in our seminar, he said, well, how many commands do you need? And I said, hey, calm down. I'm not trying to get out of evangelism. I'm just making an observation. I only need one. Five Great Commission, uh, great commission uh, uh, passages are sufficient. But why aren't there more commands? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons, I think. Well, one is that witnessing should be natural to born-again people. Witnessing should just be natural to born-again people. Why do I say that? Acts 1.8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power, and you shall what? Be witnesses. Not begin to, I mean, that's what you are. We should just, those of us who are born again this morning, filled with the Holy Spirit, we know God is our Father, Jesus is our Savior, the Holy Spirit is our indwelling power. We ought to just naturally be witnessing. We don't need a command on every page of the Bible. Secondly, one of my assignments and working on my doctorate, was to go through the entire New Testament and find all find as many principles on evangelism as I could. And that's where I discovered, hey, there's not a lot of direct commands. You know what I also found in that process? I took a marker, a particular color, and I went through a Bible, and I marked every principle, every principle of evangelism I could find. And the reality was, there's some... Uh, the, God's heart for the law... Here's what I found through that experience... God's heart for the lost bleeds out of every page of the New Testament. It just bleeds out of every page. In fact, I think, if I'm, it's, been, it's been a while, maybe we, we did the whole Bible, but I know I came up with over 2,000 principles. And what I came out of that is, man, God loves lost people, and He wants me to witness to Him, whether there's direct commands or not, all right? A third reason, I think, is that everything we do is a witness. Witness is not just going through four points of a gospel track, but everything we do, our giving is a witness to the lost. Our fellowship is a giving to the law, a witness to the lost. Our gathering today is a witness to the lost. G- making today a priority is a witness to the lost. And so whatever you're doing, it's a witness. But having said that, I want to say this. So please listen to me. I want to say this. The gospel is good news, and good news must be shared verbally. So everything that we have, we, no matter what we do, we need to proclaim. So here's what I want to do for the rest of the lesson. What are the characteristics? What are the characteristics of those that always abound 
in proclaiming the gospel. And I think from these two verses in 1 Corinthians 16, I can give you five characteristics. They've been true in my life. I think you will, they'll ring true for you. And here's the first one. Those that are always abounding in proclaiming, the first practice is, number one, they pray for doors, open doors of opportunity. They pray for open doors of opportunity. Now, 1 Corinthians 16, 8 through 9 is the second time in two chapters that Paul has mentioned Ephesus to the Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 32. 1 Corinthians 15, 32, he says, If from human motives I have fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? And then look at 16, 8 again. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Here's the implication. He's mentioned this twice, and it's obvious. Pray for me. Pray for me. There's an open door. There's opportunity to proclaim. I want to abound in this. I want to continue in this. But hey, you need to pray for me. Now, why would he be so adamant to tell them how difficult it is, and yet that he's staying there? And why do we need to pray for open doors of opportunity? It's because... It is God who opens doors, opens eyes, and open hearts, opens hearts to the gospel. It's God that does that. It's a God work that you and I need to pray about. Let me take you just through three passages in the book of Acts, which is the story of God really opening doors, opening hearts, opening ears, opening minds. And let me just give you a couple, uh, a couple examples. Acts 14.27 is Paul's report of the first missionary journey. And here's how he sums up that entire missionary journey. He says this, When they arrived and gathered the church together, that's the church at Jerusalem, they began, or I'm sorry, the church at Antioch, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They had went out, they had done the preaching, they had done the proclaiming, but at the end of the day he said, look, God opened a door wide to unreached people. That's awesome. The reason Paul knew that was Acts 9. Turn to Acts 9. In Acts 9.8, that's how Paul got saved. God opened his eyes to who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for him and what Jesus wanted to do with him. In Acts 9.8, look at what it says. Paul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. This was like a, a living illustration to the Apostle Paul. Paul actually saw the Pharisee. You think you can see everything clearly. You think you know Jesus is the enemy. The Christians should be killed. You think you are worshiping God right. You can see but you're blind. So his eyes were open, yet he couldn't see. God caused blindness. Then you drop down to verse 17, and here's how God opened his eyes. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, And he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food, and he was strengthened. God opens eyes of even the hardest sinner. It's a God thing. 
And then my favorite passage on this is Acts 16, 14. Turn your Bibles to Acts 16, 14. Acts 16, 14. There's no better passage for seeing that this is a work of God that we must pray for. We must pray for. Notice what he says. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. The Lord opens hearts. So what do you got to do? You got to pray for the open doors of opportunity. You've got to pray. Why? Because 2 Corinthians, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Why is this a work that only God can do? Look at 2 Corinthians 4. Let's look at verses 1 through 6. Or let's just look at verse 4. Uh, start in verse 3. Verse 3. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for, the, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. If God hadn't spoken into our hearts the light of the gospel and said, let there be light in that dark heart, none of us would be saved this morning. All right? So you get the idea? Make no mistake about it. It's God who opens hearts, opens eyes, and opens hearts. Clearly then, prayer is essential. Amen? Prayer is never optional when it comes. And Paul was not shy about asking for that kind of prayer. So turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. This is called Discovery Hour down here. And uh, throughout our Sunday school, throughout our Discovery Hour, we discover what's in the Bible. So be sure to bring your Bible and open it up. So turn to Colossians chapter 4. And let's look at verses 2 through 4. Here's what he says. Devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And he says, while you're praying for all the things you're praying for, all the things that are important in Colossae, praying at the same time for us as well. And here's what I want you to pray. That God will open to us a door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. That's simply the gospel, for which I have also been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Pray for an open door for the gospel, that I may proclaim it. Now, I see him praying for two things in these verses. He prays for an open door of opportunity, even though he's in prison. I find that amazing. Okay? Why don't we proclaim more? Because we fear rejection, ridicule. What will they say? Paul's already in prison for all of those things. And yet, what is he praying? Give me more opportunity. I don't have enough chains on me. I don't have, it's not bad enough yet. Pray for opportunity. No, he's saying, look, it doesn't matter what their response is. It doesn't matter what my circumstance is. It doesn't matter what it costs me. I want to keep proclaiming. Give me open doors. 
Do we have that kind of burden? And he's also praying for an open mouth with clarity. Open door with opportunity. When the door opens, what I find is God isn't hindered in opening doors for me. I just don't step through them with an open mouth of clarity. Now you say, well, that's my problem. I can't speak like you or the Apostle Paul. No, this is the Apostle Paul asking for clarity. And he's an apostle inspired to write scripture. And he's like, man, I need help with this. Can you relate to that? Okay, there's just no excuse. We need to pray for opportunity and for clarity. So here's two questions for application. Do you start your week praying for God to open a door to you for the Word? Do you start your week praying, Lord, open a door of opportunity for your Word this week? And are you willing to always abound it in spite of rejection, in spite of ridicule, in spite of consequences? Paul was in prison, chained, and yet he said, I want more opportunity. I want more opportunities. So, Randy, come on up. Randy's someone that abounds, always abounding in proclaiming the work of the Lord. Remember, Randy, that means increasing, growing. doesn't mean you do it perfectly. But he's good at this, and uh, he wanted to, to share with this. So. But um, I'm, I'm rough around the edges, I promise you. I'm still a learner that's growing as well. I always think of my wife when we first got married, how she was always praying for opportunities to share the gospel with those that are around her. Sometimes she would talk on a park bench while we had our young children uh, still playing in the park at that time. And she'd uh, look for open doors that the Lord would allow her to share the gospel. And I was really caught by that in a, in a unique way to where years later... Um, I learned that praying starts the whole process out on how we're going to be open to sharing the gospel with those that are around us. And especially three years ago, having nearly died, uh, being in the hospital, laying in a hotel or laying in a hospital room, and um, just thinking through if I'd have been in front of the Lord at that time uh, with him in eternity, I certainly would have been very joyful and glad to be with the Lord. But what entered my mind was, Lord, I would have liked to have more time. I would have liked to have more time to to do your work and serve you in an even greater way. And the Lord granted me that opportunity, and I began to pray and seek the Lord. How can I have more opportunities? And I brought it before the Lord, and I would start praying uh, for doors to be opened. And I was always amazed at how God will bring opportunities, utilizing my personality Yes, I'm a blonde guy. Yes, I'm a guy who makes all types of mistakes. My personality is definitely uh, imperfect, but God can use that in a glorious way. And um, just recently, just a week and a half ago, as I was praying, actually on the way to work, and I was just praying for more open doors to come to me, I felt all of a sudden the Lord speaking to me because on my route to my job, I've changed my routes. I'm always trying to find a less stressful way to get to my job. And so I'm driving through some residential neighborhoods, and as I get right to the, the place where I'm at in my, uh, my office, there's a little business area, and there's a, a couple of employees that work at a dry cleaners that are right next to the office. And so I'd come around the corner, barreling through, trying to get to the parking space to get into work. Um, I remembered that there's a gal, an older lady, I would say mature lady, she was an old lady, uh, that was working at this uh, dry cleaner. And I felt as I was praying and asking for God to open doors, that the Lord reminded me 
that this was somebody I needed to speak to about the Lord. And so I, uh, I said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do this. And as I approached this uh, spot where she was out there standing about two or three times a week, she would be out taking a smoke break. She'd have a couple other employees that were with her. I think they were loading garments into a van. And when I first saw her smoking and she was talking on a telephone, I thought, this, this isn't right. I must be out of my mind. Why, why would I come up and approach this gal and talk to her about the, uh, about the gospel? And I, so I drove on by, got into my parking space at the office, and I felt like I had the Holy Spirit come on me like a lead balloon. And I just thought, I think I really should have spoken. I should have stopped and connected with that gal and shared the gospel. And I prayed again. I said, Lord, boy, I, I feel your presence here. I feel like you're calling me to talk. And I said, I kind of backed down. I got a little fearful at the last moment, thinking she's busy. She's going to think I'm a crazed maniac coming up to her, talking to her about the gospel. And uh, But I just felt the Holy Spirit really... Um, come and sink in with me that I needed to uh, obey and, and follow on this. And I pr- asked for forgiveness, and I asked for another opportunity. If somehow you, Lord, as you are the God of all creation, who's given us your son Jesus, and through him we're free to share your beautiful news, that if you would allow me a second opportunity, I will not, I will not hesitate. And so I prayed that, and throughout the day I even had that thoughts. And a few days went by, a drive to work, she wasn't there. And another week went by, and she wasn't there. And then finally, just this week and a half ago, it was a Friday morning. I thought, well, Lord, I've, I've missed my opportunity. And I said, I, I really am so grateful you're able to forgive me, but I pray for an opportunities that you would continue to open doors. And as I turned the corner, this gal was out there standing at the dry cleaners. I promptly turned my car right into the spot. I'm ready to go. And I uh, got out. I approached her rather quickly. And so I, I'm going to be bold here. And I'm, I'm shaking like a stick here. And I'm thinking uh, I'm going to do my best. I came up to her. I said, ma'am, when I drive by here multiple mornings, and she has coworkers there with her as well, I said, you always wave hello. And I said, I, I think that you sometimes think I'm a customer. I'm sorry to say I'm not a customer. But uh, I can be a customer, I said. And, but you're always so kind to wave hello. And I thought, you know, how great it is that we, we have the opportunity with all this technology, but yet we don't ever take the time to get to know and introduce each other. And I put my hand out there. My name is Randy. What is your name? Her name is Sandy. And uh, I said, you know, we just we get to work, we do our things, and we never get a chance to have any personal talking here. And said, so, well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you stopped by. I'm thinking, wow. And so I, I reached in my pocket, and I usually carry, always think to be a little the Boy Scout here, prepared, have a gospel track. I always also like to give away a little Bible as well. And so I said, you know, it's so nice of your kindness to always say hello. And I th- said, I'd like to give you a Bible, and I'd like to give you a gospel track. I don't know where you stand before the Lord, but I know some 30 years ago I made a decision to trust Christ as my Savior, and I have not regretted that decision. He has been with me every step of the way, and God sent his son Jesus uh, for us because without him we would have no hope of eternal life without uh, Christ. And I'd like to give you the message of good news. And I handed it to her, and it was at that point she says, Thank you. I'm so glad to have a Bible. And this is what she said that startled me. She said, today is my last day on my job. This uh, shop is going to be closing down here in another uh, month or so, and I'm resigning. And she looked at her watch. She said, here in about another hour or so, 
I'm out of here and this will be the last time that I'll be at this place. And I thought I almost missed out on an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody where God allowed me to be used as a resource. I'm so glad to have this, she said. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what job I'm going to do. I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm grateful that you stopped by and you gave me something that I need. I said, well, the answers are in here. And I pointed to the gospel track. The employees came back around. All of a sudden, she gets sidetracked. And, uh, but I gave her and I proclaimed the message. And that was it. She was gone. And I'm praying for her that she would be receptive to make a decision to trust Christ as Savior. And I can't help but think that there are not on this planet daily millions of stories where God can use us to share the message of good news. All of us have an opportunity to where Chris is saying that from his teaching that there are mandates about sharing the gospel. And God's not going to put us in such spots that we're not able to, to deal with it. God has given us such unique talents and skills and blessings through that. Where we pray and we ask the Lord to open doors, he will do it. Even if you're hesitant, boy, there's all kinds of opportunities in this church to get on with some mature believers and to be a part of it. My quick little plug would be, wouldn't it be great to have you all helping us out in Awana Club? Because in Awana Club, we have kids, shall we say, the world comes to this church every Wednesday night. And if you would like to say, I'd like to be better proclaiming, I would like to be used of the Lord, what a great place to do so. Because children are hungry for the gospel. I can't help believe in our circumference of areas how God could use each of us in proclaiming his word. But it comes by serving the Lord and it comes by praying and asking for doors to be opened and they will be opened. Amen. Amen. Give it a great hand. <clears throat> And, you know, as we're talking about praying, it's not just praying for, it's praying with lost people. I had the opportunity to make a hospital visit on Shirley, and she's out and doing well, but uh, ran into uh, the Buckleys there and, and, and just took the opportunity to pray with them and to pray specifically for Ken. And, and I, you know, I, if, if, you will, if you will be burned for lost people, it will come out of you. And then I prayed for him, and I, it was like scaring me because I'm like, whoa, this is, I, I, like I prayed real boldly, did I not? And it was like, and I was like, well, I prayed like I do pray for Ken, but I prayed in front of him that way. And it was just the Holy Spirit. And as I'm praying, I'm like, oh, Lord, you're going to get me in trouble here. I don't, I don't want to end this prayer and open my eyes because I can't believe what I just prayed for this man. But see, that's what it's you gotta be used. It doesn't matter. I don't care. Because if he would die, God forbid, today, like Randy, I know I can stand with a clear conscience and out of love. I prayed as, as boldly and as honestly as I could. And it's okay. He said, Thank you. You know, you gotta get over this. You gotta get over yourself and get obsessed with Him and with the needs of people. And here's the second thing. Proclaim rather than overthink. 
You see, I prayed, and I prayed in the Spirit, not that I always walk in the Spirit, or I was glowing with Shekinah. I'm not telling you that, but I'm telling you that I do follow the leading of the Spirit, and you can too. And when you do that, you don't overthink, you proclaim. Proclaim. Listen, if you're always going to be abounding and proclaiming, you've got to stop overthinking, overanalyzing, and start proclaiming. I cannot emphasize this enough. Sometimes we forget what a witness does. A witness shares what they have seen and heard. Yes, we give testimony in a court of law when we're asked, but we also can witness and testify when we're not asked. Amen? That's what you do when you're... That lady didn't wave Randy down. Come and share the gospel. You're not going to... People aren't out there doing that. They're blind. And the way they get unblind is through hearing the gospel. Okay? And so sometimes we forget that the main words for sharing the gospel mean proclaim, herald, announce. It means... You know, it doesn't mean asking and waiting for the open door of opportunity. It means just... There's good news. I mean, you guys all get on Facebook, you get on Twitter, you get on these things, and you announce, proclaim, just like me, some of the most inane, unimportant, non-eternal things in the world, right? People are announcing things all the time. I don't feel good today. Thank you for announcing that. You know, hey, I just ate the best steak I've ever had. Wonderful. You heralded that quite well. I get it. I announced all three of our teams won in Kansas City. Wonderful. Thanks for announcing that. That's No one asked me to do that. I did it. But let me tell you, I used Facebook for to announce the gospel as well. I do it to proclaim the gospel as well. If you get on our church Facebook page, you can like, you can share, you can announce, you can do those things. No one's born ready to respond to the gospel, so quit waiting for that. God prepares hearts, He prepares minds, He prepares wills, and that's all an inside job that I can't see. I don't know if where Ken is at. I don't know how God is working inside his heart through these, these heart attacks, but God can work. My job is not to analyze what's going on on the inside. My job is to announce what God has already done in history. Amen? Besides, the number one way God prepares hearts is through the gospel being proclaimed. See, we we get it backwards. We're waiting for the heart to be ready, and we forget that it's our proclaiming that prepares the heart. That's why Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Not your reasoning, not your analyzing, not your overthinking. It's the gospel that does the preparing. And listen to what Lydia said again. She was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken. She was listening to things spoken and that's when the opening comes. So if you keep waiting before proclaiming, it won't happen. Philip the evangelist gives us one of the simplest keys to always abounding in proclaiming the gospel. It's Acts 8.35, and here's what it says. Are you ready? The simplest secret key to always proclaiming. Then Philip opened his mouth. Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from the scripture, the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. 
That's how people get saved. That's what it's going to take. Now, number three. Be assured that if you start praying for open doors, you will get them. And if you step through those open doors and begin to open your mouth to proclaim, you will encounter opposition and obstacles. So the third practice of those that always abound in proclaiming is they persevere in spite of opposition and obstacles. Paul says, I'm fighting with wild beasts. There are many adversaries, but I'm still going to pull my car up, stop, get out. I mean, it's just as likely in this day and age, Randy could have gotten beat up. And I'm telling you, when you reach out to people in love, you reach out to people, it isn't always a pleasant response. You may get threatened. You may get threatened. So, two things. He prayed for protection from opponents to be delivered from them, and he prayed for perseverance in spite of opposition. What am I saying there? I'm saying that sometimes God protects us from persecution, and sometimes he perseveres through persecution. In fact, in 2 Timothy, Paul says both happened to him. He endured persecution because of proclaiming, and he was delivered out of the mouth of a lion, and that means literal. Okay. Number four, partner with others. Partner with others. You don't have to do this alone. Paul sought to partner with others for prayer. I've already read you Colossians 4. In 2 Corinthians, he says this, to the Corinthians, you also joining in helping us through your prayers so that we, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Look, it takes a lot of prayer. So partner with others by asking them to pray with you. He partnered with others in proclaiming. Paul rarely ever traveled without two or three people with him. Uh, over a hundred people are identified with the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts alone. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. Don't go it alone. There's strength in numbers. Evangelism is a team sport. It's a team sport. Uh, I have I've been blessed to partner with the Browns in, in leading uh, uh, Jim Haas to the Lord, in leading uh, Rick and Diana uh, Powers to the Lord. And it wasn't just us. It was a, a church outreach event that got the powers to come. It's, it was Jim sitting in this class for two years. I mean, there was times where I had his name written all over my lesson. He's sitting right there. There he is. But he was right there. You used to be right there. And, uh, and I'm like, I know he's going to get saved today. Two years. But you know what? Ultimately, you have to meet with people and say, hey, it's time to cross the line but also grow groups and, and much more. Things that we won't know until Jesus gets there. You've got to partner with others. and Because you, you just can't do it all. You can't cultivate a relationship, share the gospel, seal the deal, follow up, and get them involved in the church. You're not expected to do all that by yourself for each individual. Can I hear an amen? No. We're just different people along the way. Different links in the process. Number five, 
grant those who respond for further walking in gospel obedience. Plant those who respond in local churches for further watering in the gospel obedience. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, I, I'm a planter and Apollos was a water. That's evangelism. That's discipleship. Jordan, come up here. He's going to share a little bit on this aspect. Because here's the thing. The greatest omission in, 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 in evangelism is this. Baptizing converts in a local church and then teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And if you're going to be abounding and proclaiming, then you need to be involved in planning them. Tell us about that, George. Uh, well, it's, it's a pleasure to get to share a little bit of my heart, especially in this matter. And I'm thankful that I, I was saved at the age of nine through our Awana ministry at church. It was through the ministry of our church reaching out into a, the community, trying to share the gospel of children and plug them into church. And so growing up in church, being in Sunday school, hearing the gospel there, you know, I was, I'm thankful that from the start, God just knit my heart to the church and showed me the value of the church in reaching and proclaiming the gospel. And then when I went to, um, you know, when I was 18, I had the opportunity to go to the Philippines for the first time. I spent two months there, um, getting to intern with Greg Lyons. And I'm thankful that he has a heart for not just reaching the lost, but seeing them plugged into the church. And that summer, um, he gave us the goal. And at that time, his ministry was still just kind of growing and expanding. You know, the summer camp really wasn't taken off yet. It was just getting started. He didn't have his church building yet. He was meeting in a rented facility, but he had a heart to reach the lost. And so me and my friend Matt spent the summer there, and he, he challenged us to work in his student center to make relationships with teenagers, but not just to share the gospel with them. He, he gave us the goal that summer to share the gospel and see someone plugged into the church. He wanted us to um, learn that and to be instilled with that desire to not just reach somebody, but to see them partnered into the church so they can grow in their faith, so they can grow in their love for God and their knowledge of him. And and that just shines through in his ministry. And so when we joined Greg in the ministry there and, and got to launch out and help plant a church, that was very much the heart of our ministry there in starting Urban Light Church in Pasai City. And um, when we joined the church, it was already up and running. It had been going for about a couple months, and we came in to help Pastor Isaac Basilio to um, help him in this new church. And uh, a couple weeks before we joined the church, God opened a door for him to meet a local businessman named uh, Victor Chong. And Victor Chong was a Christian with a great heart for reaching people with the gospel. And so he just began on his lunch break going out, sitting in a local restaurant, Jollibee, which is like McDonald's, except it's our Filipino version of it, um, I wouldn't recommend eating anything with a beef product there because you may not be getting beef. But, uh, you know, he had a heart to just start going out where he could meet people. He'd buy them a lunch. He'd share the gospel with them. And, and you, could, you could see that he had a great desire to reach people with the gospel. But God opened the door to connect him and Isaac. And Isaac saw the value of what he was doing, but it was, it was just lacking one thing. It was a great ministry, just a, something he was doing with his personal time. And, and with his wealth, trying to be a good steward of his money, but it was lacking one thing. It wasn't connecting people to the church. And so Isaac said, 
we'll help you. Our church will help you with this. In fact, if you will help fund us, we'll go to the Jollibee, and rather than just you sitting and talking with people, we can bring 20 people from our church every day and sit and meet people and share the gospel with them, and they can be plugged into our church so that they can grow in their faith. And so from this this meeting that God kind of crossed their paths, we began an evangelism ministry where every day we'd send our, our young people to the Jollibee and they would spend a couple hours there. We were able to rent the f- upstairs of the restaurant and just bring in people and meet them and buy them a meal and share the gospel with them. And it was incredible to get, get to sit and talk to, to just people God brought across our paths and share God with them and to see our, our, our young people in our church doing that. Um, you know, These are teenagers who may have been saved for a month or two. And yet now they're sharing the gospel and inviting people to come to our church and and invite people to come to our services where they can get plugged in, where they can hear the gospel more, where they can grow in their faith. Out of that ministry, uh, just one example of just the, the power of connecting these people to the church um, just was a young girl named Faye Touquet. And she was one of the first people who was saved out of this evangelistic ministry. And she began attending church. She got plugged into discipleship and small group, began growing in her faith. And within about three or four months, not only was she sharing the gospel in our evangelism ministry, bringing people into the church, but she began heading up all of our follow-up ministry in our church, following up on helping leading a team of volunteers to go out and visit people we'd share the gospel with during the week, go and visit them at their house and and follow up with them, invite them back to church. And, and so she was just growing in her faith and growing in her desire to bring these people into the church just like she'd been brought into. Um, you know, all of that, it just, it strikes me that this is just so important and yet is easy to be neglected because we are called to be fishers of men. And I think we've lost some of the value of that because you know, I don't know how many of you go out and go fishing. I, I did a little bit when I was a child, but me and my dad, we'd only catch and release, you know, because that's easy. You can. It's fun to get out there. It's fun to catch a fish and, and reel it in and have the thrill of that. But then if you actually want to keep that fish, if you want to eat that fish and, and use that fish, it takes a lot of effort. It's a little messy to fillet that fish, to put in the effort to prepare that fish. So that it can become a delicious meal, especially when you can go down the street and get a filet fish from McDonald's. But it's in that effort, it's in that messiness of discipling somebody you've caught, somebody who's brought, been brought into the church, who's growing in their faith, investing in them, and spending the time and energy and pouring our lives into them within the church where the true value comes. So, thank you. Amen. Good stuff. Give him a hand. Well, there's next steps, so I've given them to you. That's what this series is about. It's about giving you the practical steps. So, Awanas, great. They're signing up their time. September 2nd, Midwestern, we're going door-to-door with Midwestern. You come see me if you want to get involved with that on September 2nd. But there's all sorts of opportunities. Let's always abound. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would take heed to what we've heard. Uh, whether that's getting a track from the back of the auditorium, whether that's 
finding from Randy where to get small Bibles to hand out, whether that is to begin to pray, to ask someone to partner. The application is all over this lesson. Now it's time to put our feet to work, our hands to work, our hearts. Lord, may we always abound in the work of proclaiming. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.